morning to everybody. How blessed we are to be together today to worship God as we gather here and uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, but also study his word and uh, teach his word, sing praises unto him. You know, again, I think a lot of people when it comes to worshiping God, they think about, well, what am I going to get out of this? Well, the question really should be, what are you going to put into this? Because I think we have turned things around in our mind in that worship is supposed to be for me. God is the audience. We are the participants. And so we need to remember that, that we are worshiping God. He is the one who is getting the attention. Now, are we going to gain anything as we come together and worship God? Absolutely. We're going to be encouraged and uplifted and strengthened by the presence of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ together, and also by what we, how we put ourselves into worshiping our Heavenly Father. But we need to keep in mind, we are the worshipers. He is the audience or the one being worshiped. So it's wonderful that we can come together and worship God today and give him the glory. And let us pray that we always do that properly. We're going to continue our series on faith. We have talked about what is too little faith, and we have talked about faith, what, is the, what do the scriptures mean by that particular term, and then we've talked about uh, the faith, what do the scriptures mean about, by that phrase, the faith, and that is simply God's word, or boiled down, we could say the gospel of Christ, that gospel message, and, and basically, to a great extent, we can kind of generalize all of the scriptures as being the gospel of Christ. Because from Genesis chapter 3 on, everything points to Christ for the, through the rest of the Old Testament. And then from the Matthew, Matthew's account of the gospel of Christ, that from there on through the entire New Testament, it's Christ has come. He's established his church. He's brought the message of salvation. And so in a broad sense, we could look at all of the Bible and say, that's the gospel of Christ. But certainly when we're talking about New Testament Christianity, we're talking about that very central, important, fundamental message that Jesus brought to mankind as the Savior. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So to everyone who believes, that's my faith, my faith. The faith is that which my faith is based upon or guides me into my faith. And Romans 10 and verse 17, again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so it's important that I understand how those terms are used. Faith, my belief, the faith, that based upon which or that, that upon which my faith is based, and that's God's word or the gospel, and then we're talking about faithfulness today. Faithfulness. Many people confuse the term and the concept of faith with faithfulness. Now, someone could kind of say, now, wait a minute. If I truly have faith, if it's true faith, should that not also include faithfulness? Absolutely. But a lot of people have faith in that they believe in God, they believe in Jesus, but they're not living a faithful life. They're not living in faithfulness. They speak of their faith as though it is the same thing as faithfulness. But 
there certainly is connection, inseparable connection should be there, but while it's a blending of the two, they're not the same, and we need to understand that. Jesus, in the letter to the church at Smyrna, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus is addressing a congregation of his body, the church. Now, those were people of faith. They had become Christians. They were baptized into Christ. They were people of faith. And yet he tells them, he instructs them, encourages them, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. You see, their faith it was just the beginning. Now they had to put that faith into action through obedience. In Matthew chapter 24, if we look there, uh, Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Matthew 24 and verse 13, Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Then we read also Luke 21 and verse 19, by your patience possess your souls, or by your patience you possess your souls. What does that mean? What's the sense of that? Well, all of these, we look at these, and they're the concept or the principle of faithfulness. I have to be faithful until death. My faith has to be exhibited, lived by. It needs to be evidenced through the way I live my life, all of my life, all the way until the point that I die. And I actually like the King James Version translation here. Instead of the word unto, it says be faithful unto, uh, until in the New King James Version and others perhaps, it says be faithful unto death. And there the concept could be understood, even if I have to give my life for my faith, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay true to my Lord. So he who endures to the end, that's faithfulness. I'm living my faith all the way to the end of my life. By your patience, possess your souls. Again, continued, patient, perseverant, dedication, obedience, commitment to my Lord through his teachings, and so we're really seeing the concept of faithfulness. Now, faith by itself will not save. A whole lot of people will try to tell you, oh yes, all you have to do is believe. Now, that's not what the scriptures teach. There are a whole lot of people who believe in Jesus, but they're not faithful to Jesus. And we'll look at some understandings along those lines as we go along today. Faith alone will not save. It must be put into action, faith put into action through faithfulness or continued dedication and commitment. Now think about what James wrote in James chapter 2 and verse 9. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons believe and tremble. Now do you think the demons were saved because they believed in God? Because they believed in Christ? Undoubtedly they believed in Christ as well as in God. They trembled, they believed so much, but they were still the demons in hell. Think about that now. They had faith, they believed, and that's about the degree of faith that a whole lot of people in the world today have when they say, oh, I have faith, I have such faith, but they're not faithful. They don't put their faith into action through consistent dedication and obedience. First, we need to understand that a person can have faith 
and still not be faithful. And the absence of his faithfulness will doom him eternally, even though he has faith. And there are those demons in hell again. Nicodemus had faith in Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He came to him by night. He evidenced that belief by what he told Jesus. Now notice again, he came to Jesus by night. I think we're to understand under the cover of darkness. He was, he was kind of keeping his faith in Jesus uh, sort of on the sly from some of his contemporaries because he was a member of the Sanhedrin Council, I think we're to understand, the leaders among the Jews. He comes to Jesus. We read the text. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He had a position of authority, of prestige. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now we might ask the question, when Nicodemus used that phrase, we know, of whom was he speaking and referring? Because the rulers of the Jews did not believe in Jesus as being the Son of God, did not believe in Jesus as being the Savior, the Messiah. Now maybe he was simply talking in a more broad sense when he says, we, those of us who have come to understand and believe, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus had faith, at least to some degree there. But seemingly, because of his position, he refrained from open faithfulness. Interesting, interesting. Now, many who had faith in Jesus failed to express that faith openly through their actions in being faithful to Jesus. In John chapter 9 and verse 22, we read about the parents of the young man who had been born blind, whom Jesus healed miraculously. Miraculously. And so when it was told around, and especially to the Pharisees, the leaders among the Jews, Jesus did this. Or this man was born blind and now he's been healed miraculously. And so these Jewish leaders, they were, I guess to some extent, probably taken aback. But they also took exception to what had happened to the young man. They began to ask him, they began to ask his parents, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? In other words, maybe casting a little bit of doubt, was he really born blind? You say he was born blind. Who healed him? Well, they responded by saying, this is our son. They affirmed that he had been born blind. But as to who had healed him, they said simply, he's of age, ask him. You see how they were skirting around, openly confessing faith in Jesus as being the healer. Now, verse 22 of John chapter 9, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And so, how could someone not believe? How could the parents of a person who had been born blind, had grown into adulthood blind all of his life, and now miraculously, one day, in a moment, he's, he can see? 
How could somebody not believe in the one who healed him of his blindness? But they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue, and so they did not personally themselves confess Jesus. They probably believed he did this. How else could it have happened? He tells us what happened, but they were not faithful. They did not confess their faith in him. They skirted around identifying Jesus as the healer. When we look at chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, the text here tells us, nevertheless, even among the rulers, the rulers of the Jews, many believed in him. They had faith. They believed. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Faith without faithfulness. So you see the separation between the two in the lives of some people. Now, should they go together? Absolutely. True faith, saving faith, is also faithful faith. But for a lot of people, it comes up short of the faithfulness. And so it's just believing, and that's the end of the matter for them. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? A follower. How does one become a disciple? First, he has to believe in Jesus. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, Joseph of Arimathea became a believer in Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. In Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 50, the text reads, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member. What does that mean? We're not talking about the city council here. We're talking about the Sanhedrin council among the Jews. And in Jerusalem, this would have been likened probably to what we would understand in our culture today, in our country, as the Supreme Court. He was a council member. He was a man in a position of authority and prestige and power. Joseph, a council member and a good and just man, he had not consented to their decision indeed, that is, among the council that they were going to try to do what they could to put Jesus down, to deny him, to blaspheme him, to turn people away from him. He did not go along with all of that. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself also was waiting for the kingdom of God. He believed the prophecies, and he came to understand the fulfillment of those prophecies in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah come to earth, the Savior of mankind come to earth. He believed in Jesus. But notice again, secretly, secretly. As we look at the 19th chapter of John, after Jesus had been crucified, well, Joseph of Arimathea shows up. In fact, it says in verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, a follower, a believer, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. You know who else showed up on that occasion to help with the burial of Jesus? Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. Now both of these men were rulers among the Jews, 
but they, while still being disciples or believers, having faith in Christ, they held back from total faithfulness. Secret believers. But now Jesus had died on the cross, and they both came to bury his body in the tomb. If you read the account, and we're not going to take the time to do that, to get into all the details, but they brought so much spice, which was part of preparing a dead body for burial and entombment in that culture of that day. It far surpassed what was the norm. I wonder if in that act they were trying in some way in their minds to make up for not having been there with Jesus openly. While he was still alive. I'm just conjecturing, that's all. But I wonder about that. I wonder how they might have, have been sorry that they had just been secret believers in Jesus and not had been openly dedicated to him. Now the contrast of this, we read in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. After the church had been established in Jerusalem, well, more and more people and understand that almost all of those who were being taught in those early chapters of the book of Acts were Jews. But now, see, openness, faithfulness became apparent. Even among those who were in positions wherein they might have held back earlier when Jesus was alive on this earth and preaching the gospel message himself personally. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of the disciples, followers, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests did not just believe. A great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The faith, the gospel of Christ. Obedient, that's faithfulness. Why were they faithful because they had believed in Jesus and that was their faith developing but it didn't stop with just believing it went all the way through obeying and committing themselves to become Christians that's faithfulness that's faithfulness we look at a married couple Ananias and Sapphira if you, want, if you want to read the entire account, you can start with chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. You can read all the way through verse 11 and get the fullness of the account. But Ananias and Sapphira were husband and wife and members of the Lord's church in Jerusalem. There were a great many needy people within the, within the city, and, and I'm sure we can understand within the congregation or within the church of the Lord within Jerusalem. And so members of the church began bringing benevolent offerings to help those who were needy. Ananias and Sapphira did exactly that themselves. They had a piece of property which they decided they could sell, and they brought part of the sum of money that they received from the sale of the property to the apostles, particularly Peter is highlighted there, and they gave that money to help the needy that that, were, were, that the church was focusing on happen, helping at that time. But now, there was nothing wrong with that. They had the property, it belonged to them. They sold it for a sum of money. That money was in their control. But you see, they wanted full glory or credit 
forgiving all that they received from the sale of the property, even though they held back part of it. So they, they, they indicated, they stated that this was all they received. They were giving all of it to help those needy within Jerusalem. But you see, Peter, an apostle, guided by the Holy Spirit, inspired, God communicated to him, Peter understood, you're lying about this. You're holding back. There's nothing wrong with holding back, but you're lying about it. And so verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 5, Ananias first comes before Peter and gives the sum of money. And he says, yep, this is all we got. We sold a piece of property. We're bringing it all here to help the needy. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, while it remained, was it not in your, uh, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. You've lied to God. How many times do we maybe cross that line and lie to God in bottom line when we think we're just lying to another human being? to try to get around something or to put ourselves in a better light. And ultimately, the lie is against God. All lies ultimately are against God. If you look at Revelation 21 and verse 8, that's one of the sinful practices that is highlighted that will keep a person out of heaven. Lying. And it doesn't say big, bold, terrible lies. It says all liars shall find their part in the lake which burns with, with fire and brimstone. And so Peter confronts Ananias, the husband. And if you read the text there, Ananias dropped dead. Well, then later on, Sapphira, not knowing what had happened to her husband, she comes and she carries the same story. Verse 9, Peter said to her, he's already asked her, did you sell the property for so much? That is what you have brought to give to help the needy? He said to her, how is it that you have agreed to test, agreed, agreed with your husband to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And so God struck her dead as well. These were two people, husband and wife, of faith. They had faith in Christ, faith in God. But when they lied about what they were giving, they were not, at that point, they had become unfaithful. That was not faithfulness. That was the opposite of faithfulness. Now, some people have faith. In fact, I would suggest to you that there are a whole lot of people in the world who have faith in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. But Jesus, he separated those who only have faith in him from those whose faith is exhibited or made obvious through their faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now think about that. They believe in Jesus. They call him Lord, Lord. But he says not everyone who 
has that degree of faith is going to be in heaven with me. He goes on and describes these people. They don't, they're not, they're people who, have, in their mind, they have done some things that, that ought to really show their faith in the Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? So you would think these people were people of not just faith, but faithfulness. But Jesus has already said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says they have faith in me shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, there's the faithfulness. We can't just do some things that make us feel good or that we decide, well, this really is how I'm showing my faith. Jesus said you've got to do it according to the will of the Father, and that's the faith communicated to us in God's word. Jesus said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. In other words, you were never with me, truly, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or another translation says, you evildoers. But they had faith in Jesus. They did a bunch of stuff, apparently, at least they claimed to, to show their faith in Jesus, but Jesus said that's not faithfulness because you were not doing it according to the will of my Father. You were following your will. You were making things up on, on your own, and calling that faithfulness, but that wasn't faithfulness because you were not doing what the Father, my Father in heaven, what God has instructed you to do as my faithful followers. We need to understand again. Many people have faith, but they're not faithful. The scriptures are filled with examples of people who had faith but lacked faithfulness and were punished as a result. Now, some of them repented later and took up a life of faithfulness like Adam and Eve. I'm, I'm virtually certain they recognized their big mistake in becoming sinners. And I'm, I, I'm fairly certain they became faithful to God afterwards. They learned the lesson. We think about David a man after God's own heart. But he did some things for which he and the people were punished along the way. But he had basic faithfulness and he would repent and get himself back on track. We could think of Cain, of Eli. He was a high priest, but he lacked some degree of faithfulness in letting his sons live wicked lives as priests under him. King Saul, Solomon, the nations of North Israel and Judah, they had faith in God, but they had become so unfaithful that God allowed their enemies to conquer them and remove them from their lands for decades and decades. Saul of Tarsus believed in God, but he did not for a time believe in Jesus. And so even though he believed in God and he lived a very active life in his mind in dedication to God, he was not faithful in the way that God wanted him to be faithful. And remember again, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not until he finally came to believe in Jesus and his faith extended to becoming obedient to his Lord, being baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins, then he became faithful and took up a new life. There are a whole lot of people in the world right now who believe in God, but they do not believe in God's Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They have faith in God, but they're not faithful to God because they reject the Savior. We need to understand the difference. Faithfulness is the power of faith. If you could think of it that way, faithfulness is the power of faith that has brought into the life of the individual the proper effect of his faith. He's put his faith into action. That's faithfulness through obedience and dedication and commitment. The parable of the talents give us something of a, an illustration of the principle of faithfulness. If we look in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 15, we find a master, he has three servants. The master is going off on a journey he entrusts sums of money to each of his three servants. It says, to one he gave five talents, that's simply a sum of money in the culture of that day, the economy of that day. To another two, to another one, to each one according to his own ability, and he immediately went on a journey. Now, understand, this is not a story in principle about a man who had a lot of money and he had three servants and he left sums of his money with these three servants and said, I expect you to use this wisely. Make me a prophet while I'm gone. Simply a, an illustration that we can relate to. So he gives one, five talents, one, two talents, one, one talent, then he goes off on his journey. Well, each servant, each servant was given responsibility from his master based upon his ability, I assume, from the perspective of the master. In verses 16 and 17, he who had received the five talents, he went and traded with them, made another five talents, and likewise he who had received two talents gained two more also. So those first two servants, the one with five talents, the one with two talents, they were faithful to their master's trust and instructions. Now, why do I say they were faithful? Because when Jesus gives this particular uh, parable, that's the pronouncement that the master makes upon those two servants when he returns from his journey. In verses 21 and 23, he's speaking to each one of them individually and in turn and he says when they bring back to him not only what he entrusted to them, but what they had gained in faithful service to him while he was gone with that which he entrusted to them, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Do you get the language there? 
we're talking about a parable that uses a life kind of illustration that we can relate to that's teaching a spiritual message of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, on the other hand, the servant who had the one talent and did nothing with it, dug a hole in the ground, buried it there. When the master comes back, he digs it back up. It presents it to him. Verse 18, he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And then when he came back, he simply presented it to him. Here it is. Now, some of us, from a human perspective, we might think, well, at least he didn't lose it. He didn't waste it. He presented back to his master that which he had entrusted to him. But you see, the point is the master expected him to use it wisely, to put it to use, to make a profit for him. He entrusted him to serve him faithfully with that which he left him. And so when he was confronted by his master, his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. And, and then later he says to others, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the language of that particular text is unmistakable. Wicked, lazy servant, he was unfaithful to his task and thereby unfaithful to his master. Cast him into outer darkness, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see that kind of descriptive language, similar to it at least, used to describe eternal condemnation in hell. That's the lesson. The lesson is on faithfulness in our spiritual lives, faithfulness to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at when we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Let a man consider us, the Apostle Paul is writing, let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And then when Paul is writing about the qualities that ought to be there within a man who is being considered as being appointed as a deacon within the Lord's church, within an individual congregation, he, he talks about the wives of those men. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 11, likewise their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. You see, just having faith comes up short. Faith to be effective, saving faith, complete faith is faithful. It's put into action in the way we live our lives in obedience and dedication continually on a consistent basis. Faithfulness is being in the faith. The word of God, that is, living by its teachings. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Not just whether you have faith, but whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Make sure you're in the faith. You're living by those teachings. 
that God has communicated to us through his word. Titus 1 and verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to, exhort, uh, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And there it's talking about elders within the Lord's church recognizing and then correcting false teaching, false doctrine. Now how can they do that? They have to themselves hold fast to the faithful word of God that they have been taught. Faithfulness is also active. It is dedicated openly, actively, active commitment, and it is a faithfulness that is serving. It is put into action through service. James 2 and verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? When you put the faith with the works, that's faithfulness. And then also in James 2 and verse 19, as we noted earlier, even the demons believe and tremble. But they're obviously not faithful because they're demons in hell. Faithfulness is part of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lays out in Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness. Faithfulness denotes trustworthiness based upon being true to the teachings of the faith. All of the terms go together. The faith, as I learned that, my faith develops. Now I have to put the teachings of the faith into action through my faith so that I can be faithful, full of faith, literally, exhibited by my lifestyle, putting my faith into action. It includes living by those teachings and putting them into action consistently in my life. Faith Faithfulness, faithfulness. We need to understand what faith is. We need to understand the importance of the faith. And we need to understand the importance and power of faithfulness. Because faith is central to our eternal salvation. If you need to work on this, if you need to study about this, if you need to talk about this, please don't leave the building today without asking us to help, to talk. If you know what you need to do and you're ready to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Christ and faithfully obey him in baptism for the remission of your sins, then we encourage you to take that step. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here if you'll just ask us you can either step forward and we can pray together as a congregation or you can talk with us privately. We'll pray with you and for you. Put your faith into action. Be faithful. Let us stand and sing.